This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, and we're finally going to do it. The people have spoken. We are talking all things FAWSL this week, and I am joined by our WSL contributor, Emily Dolhanty. Hello, Emily. How's it going? Hey, Claire. It's good. How's it going on your end? Not too bad. Beautiful, beautiful spring weather over here in in Chicago, finally, which feels really nice. Yes, same up here. (laughs) So first things first, why don't you just go ahead and tell everybody, first, I want you to plug your work. Tell people what you have been doing for Equalizer in terms of WSL, how you've been following the season um, and what they can find in terms of written work for you. Sure. So yeah, I'm more typically behind the scenes, I guess you could say at Equalizer um, this last you know year. But yeah, I've been doing kind of weekly um, WSL recaps. So just, you know, a quick, quick hits from each of the games. Um, obviously, a little bit more uh, when the top teams play. Um, but yeah, so just kind of recapping uh, the games and, and you can find those um, you know, usually on Mondays at the site. So, yeah. Very nice. Um, so let's start with the top of the table because yeah. we're in the home stretch here. It's spring. Sure. We're getting closer to results time. Um, some people started out strong. Obviously, probably the biggest story here is what's going on with Manchester United, right. uh, where they had a very strong start to the season. They faded a little bit here down the stretch. They've been dealing with injuries, obviously. Um, so first question first. Uh, with Manchester United, do you think having watched the arc of their season, what should the expectations be? They're in third right now. They just dropped a result to Arsenal, who is probably their main challenger for that final uh, Champions League spot. <laughs> do you think they have the ability to hold on here? And should we even really be expecting them to in the context right. of the greater part of their season? Yeah, Claire, to be honest, after after this loss uh, on Friday to Arsenal, I don't know that United can hang on to that third um, third place and obviously that huge third Champions League spot. Um, you know, just like a quick look at the table, they are level on points with Arsenal, but um, Arsenal have a game in hand, obviously, um, and a much, much better goal differential. So that would be the tiebreaker there if both teams can, you know, basically win out the rest of their matches. Um, but yeah, like in regards to your second point, I don't know if, you know, the expectation should be that they, that they would snag that third spot. Um, you know, obviously they did have that great start to the season. We're at the top of the table for a lot of the fall and winter, but um, I just don't know that they have that depth, right? You know, looking at like a Chelsea or a City, um, even an Arsenal, 
who have their own depth problems. Um, but yeah, I don't know that United can can hang on to that third spot with the injuries and, uh, you know, everything that they've had. Yeah, it seemed like watching that game on Friday, it was a 2-0 win for, yeah. for Arsenal. Um, United, I, I like the way Casey Stoney has set her team up. I think that even from the very beginning when they were getting the results and even now when they're struggling to get the results, I think that they're very well organized for the most part. They had some moments against Arsenal where you're like, what's happening <laughs> right. in the back there? But yeah. um, but it just seems like they don't have necessarily the player-for-player roster right. they haven't built that yet and and with a team in its infancy really in the WSL mm-hmm. that's to be expected sure. especially with you know they haven't had Tobin Heath for a while right. Kristen Press has been in and out mm-hmm. Alessia Russo has been out and she was a huge part of their fast right. start um so I would agree I thought that that game I'm not sure I could say yes Arsenal uh, has a better game plan or is executing significantly better than right. United is. It's just kind of player for player. They had that extra piece of quality that was kind of able to put them over the top. Right. Um, so let's actually talk Arsenal because sure. Arsenal was in a skid. They oh, yeah. <laughs> were in big, big trouble. It seemed like even yeah. just morale wise, starting at the for beginning sure. of 2021. Right. Do you think they've turned it around or do you think that they're just more regressing to the the mean of of what they should be able to do with that roster yeah I mean I don't know if we can say like one win um is totally turning <laughs> True. <the ship> around. <laughs> <laughs> you know um like even just back to that game I mean they are so shaky at the back sometimes like yeah. and they have been like in their loss to Chelsea uh, um I think it was February um like so shaky at the back and and even after you know their quick start on Friday um, they scored first um, they like gave up these crazy turnaways um, and and let United back in Um, so I don't know if it's you know totally turning the ship around Um, yeah for Arsenal I think they will still continue. They don't have to play any, any of the, the you know, top three um, for the rest of the season. But if they did, I think um, they would still have, have, you know, the troubles that they had against, you know, Chelsea and city. Yeah. And I think I, I totally agree. Yeah. And then I do think it's a similar question, maybe on the flip side to the right. United question, which is, is that good enough for Arsenal at this point? Right. Um, you know, they win the league two years ago. They uh, maintain a lot of that core. They like to run with a small roster. Um, And then there's some questions about Joe Montemurro about even just some of his tactical ideas. They are Mm -hmm. a mess in the back. And frequently, I, I, in my opinion, and you see this in NWSL too, if you have a coach that is not doing a good enough job of making the assignments clear and natural to a back line, that's where you see those kinds of issues where you just are like, have they, are there, have their eyes closed? Have they lost their minds? What's happening? Um, And so Arsenal getting third, do you think that in this point in Joe Matamoro's tenure, that's good enough, especially since they're kind of having to, to lift up to even make that third spot. Mm -hmm. He, I think he said something, something this past week about, you know, he's trying to look at quality over results and that sounds to me like a coach that understands that the results might not be out there for them. Um, right. So what are your thoughts on where Arsenal is right now? Is third good enough? And 
what does this mean potentially for for Montemuro retaining players even right yeah I mean I think Arsenal fans would say third is not good enough but when you kind of look at really their roster and and kind of their roster moves um coming into the season or maybe it's better to say like lack of roster moves compared to kind of you know the likes of like Chelsea and City um maybe it's more realistic you know um I think a third yeah might be kind of realistic for them really at this point I think it's interesting as well because this stuff can turn into a cycle, right? Where you don't really bring players in. So you don't have the roster depth of the other top teams. So you don't do as well, which means that it's harder to bring players in. Right. And so I, I worry about Arsenal a little bit, especially because as we all know, uh, Vivian Miedema is out of contract at the end of this season. She has the ability to entertain offers. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's had another good season, but it is that idea of, well, Arsenal is good enough for a Champions League spot in the WSL. They've been surpassed by some other clubs. They are probably good for a certain depth of run in Champions League. Again, they're going to come up with quality issues once they hit quarterfinals, semifinals. Uh, And I think that that'll be a problem for, for some of these players that consider themselves ready for that next level. For sure. And media uh, Minima is like the perfect player that's um, kind of goes along with that train of thought. Is she going to stay if, you know, Arsenal aren't committed to bringing in more players and, you know, having that quality to be able to, you know, challenge in those quarterfinal, semifinal champions league rounds. Um, yeah. And she's an interesting one. I think it's been, a, um, you know, a uh, not disappointing, but frustrating, I guess season for her you know there's games where she's dropping really deep to try to get the ball and um you know the service isn't there so um yeah that will definitely be like a storyline to watch this off season um you know whether to see if she stays yeah um yeah following that right we've got we've got some stars for all of these all of these teams where people are maybe wondering what happens when the season is over. Obviously people are very interested to see what Kristen press and Tobin Mm -hmm. Heath decide to do, whether they stay at United or maybe come back to the States though, obviously their, uh, their landing place in the United States is a little bit questionable at this moment, (laughs) for sure, um, which could influence it. You've got um, Minima at Arsenal and then moving over to Manchester city. Mm-hmm. You know, the million dollar question for all yes. of us here in the U.S. Is, I know what you're going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> what to do with Rose Lavelle? Yes. Oh, um, all right. So I'm of two minds sure. about this, which is that I actually I sympathize with city fans who say, yes, she's being played out of position. But where else do you put her? I get that, actually, for sure. looking at that city midfield. Um, <laughs> but is that good for the player? You know, she's going to be she's, te- you know, quote unquote, playing in Champions League. She's contending for a top spot in in the WSL, but she is not a major contributor for that team. And from what we've seen with the U.S. over the same stretch of time is that she's fit. She's ready to go. Um, So what do you do if you're Rose Lavelle maybe looking at this and you know that you have O.L. Reign waiting for you back at home? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, It it is just from like, kind of high level it is like just so wild to watch every week her just come off the bench for like 10 or 20 minutes um 
you know, just from like a fan watching perspective, uh, like one of the best players in the world can't break into cities starting 11. Um, but, you know, I do agree. Like you have a player like Caroline Weir, who is, um, you know, in great form right now. So there are definitely challenges. I don't want to be that coach um, deciding yeah. that 11. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, if I was her, um, I don't know. I mean, from a, another, from a fan perspective, again, selfishly would love to see her play for OL Reign. I think that would be really fun. I think they could really use her. Um, just thinking back onto, you know, some of their performances in, in last year's Challenge Cup um, and the fall series. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts there? Are you thinking she's staying? She's going? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, that's, I think it's a really good question. I think yeah. that, um, I think that you, obviously you, you stay with city, you stay 100% committed to that project mm-hmm. until the end of whatever their champions league journey ends up being. For sure. Um, I think the OL rain thing is a bigger question mark. I think in terms of, I don't think she wanted to be traded from the spirit. Yeah. Uh, and so there's that element of, yes, she'd be coming back to the U S but it would be a completely new club environment and one that she didn't necessarily ask for. Right. Uh, but if you are talking, you know, to Garrett Taylor and he says, I have all of these players in this midfield, we've done quite well this year for our expectations. Um, and if he can't give a good enough answer as mm-hmm. to where she fits for next season, right. I don't know. I don't know if you sign back on. I think uh, her, it's really just fascinating too, because the Olympics Mm -hmm. being pushed back kind of alters this as well, which is that these kinds of deals you usually do immediately after the two years of international tournaments um, where you have some flex time, where does it matter so much if you're being called into us camp? Does it matter that you're not in the States? And, and so I just, I don't know. I really don't know. I wonder, and I don't know anything. This is not inside information, but (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if she doesn't come back to the U S and I wonder if it's not for the rain. I wonder Mm -hmm. if somebody else makes a play on her shortlist. Um, but I'm also, if I'm the rain and I'm looking at what they've coming up, like, obviously you've got the Mars on rumors that maybe she's, (sighs) she's coming over at the end of, uh, at the end of May, maybe Rose Lavelle says that sounds awesome. let's go you know kick ass in the latter half of the nwsl season so yeah i i don't know it's a good problem to have in a way because she's getting paid out there she's on a good team for sure but what does that mean for you know these are the best these are the best playing years probably of her life so you want to be playing um speaking of teams that are so deep that very (sighs) good players do not play for them frequently Let's talk Chelsea. Ah, Chelsea because the Chelsea project, I think, is very cool. Very, very fun. They basically said, um, you know, over the last two years, they said, we are going to compile the best roster in the world. Yeah. And they went and they did it. Right. And it took them a second to really see the results start flowing. But once some of those players got hot, like if you look at Sam Kerr's year, mm-hmm. I don't know who beats them. I really don't. I don't know. I think they're not letting that number one spot go. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. Just, you know, even if you didn't watch any, you know, games this week, just go on and watch the highlights from Chelsea's match um, from Wednesday. 
And just seeing the Fran Kirby, like just mm-hmm. Fran Kirby in form right now is just so fun. Um, but seeing the Fran Kirby, Sam Kerr connection, um, and obviously you have Pernilla Harder in there too, like the three of them together on the field together is, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if, um, you know, the, down the stretch here that uh, anyone can beat that really. And even more than that, here's the, here's the real question. Yeah. Does Chelsea win champions league? Oh, good question. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to answer that. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I think they have the quality too. Um, you know, we have seen them stumble recently um, when they lost to Brighton, I believe um, kind of broke that right. huge, uh, you know, huge record setting win streak. Um I think that was a hiccup, you know, nothing more than a small hiccup. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think they have the quality to do that, but um, we'll see. I know, you know, the fixtures, there, it, there is a lot coming up, um, you know, just looking. That's know, true. It's going to be weekend, midweek, weekend, midweek. Right. Um, so, yeah. And obviously, for it. yeah. And their long run in the, in the Conti Cup also, you yeah. know, that, uh, <clears throat> just extra, extra miles on those legs for sure. Um, they do have, I mean, they are playing uh, Wolfsburg in their yes. UWCL quarterfinal. You would think that that would be a decent draw for them. Okay. Um, they're not looking at, you, you know, we have PSG Lyon. Yeah. Um, so Lyon kind of has a tough road to right. get to that final again. And they Especially, are having yeah, an odd this year. <laughs> year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if there was, if there was kind of, you think, uh, preparedness preparation meets opportunity this might be this might be lining up for something that would go quite well for Chelsea so that's the top that's the top four the conversation of the top four for sure um we drop below that top four line uh there's a bit of there's a big drop right we had Everton who did again did quite well starting out they've had their own injury issues they've really faded down the stretch um and this is where I have to admit that my expertise starts to become limited uh, when we <laughs> yeah. get to mid table, lower table. So yeah. you tell me what is a team in the bottom half of the WSL table right now that you say they are playing better games than maybe their points total shows. Yeah. Um, so obviously the bottom four very tight. Mm-hmm. Um, we're kind of, fighting to not be in that last spot. Um, so that, that one, you know, relegation spot in the WSL, um, in terms of a team that has kind of turned things around a bit, I would say Birmingham, um, you know, they have had like a tumultuous season to say the least. Um, they had kind of like a mass exodus of players, uh, at the big prior to the season, even starting. And then they've had like just horrible, um, run of like postponed games um kind of due to their you know home field conditions which is kind of a whole other story in itself but um they've done well recently um they kind of sit in you know four from the bottom I guess um so might be clear of that relegation zone um and then the other one I would say is Bristol City too um a player who's been really fun to watch the second half of the season, Ebony uh, Sam- Salmon, mm-hmm. who was called up to um, the last uh, England camp as well. She's kind of been um, 
kind of dragging them up too. So um, I think those two, um, in terms of the bottom, West Ham is sitting there. They have a couple games in hand. Um, Canadian fans will be upset to to hear of Adriana Leon has kind of a season-ending injury, it seems. Yes, that's right. So, um, yeah, I think they're going to be one of the ones to watch, unfortunately, for that bottom spot. For the spot. drop, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that would be a shame, but yeah, I mean, I could, we could talk about, we could talk about knowing things about the NWSL and maybe that being uh, implications of what that means for West Ham. But um, right. yeah, no, that, I think that all makes sense. I, so let's, this is actually a good opportunity. Talk about some larger sort of holistic things. Sure. Um, I think that it seems to me that fans of women's soccer in the U.S. have had a greater opportunity. Shout out to you know out of football and uh, and the the FA player. They've had a greater opportunity to sort of follow these storylines, especially with not a lot of soccer being played here um, at the you know at the end of 2020. In uh, what's what am I trying to say here? Uh, when you do hear these stories about teams having issues with their pitch, right? We had some teams struggle with freezing temperatures. Right. We've had waterlogged pitches. Some of these are teams with high profiles, you know, Tottenham having right. trouble with that. Uh, we just, they just announced that Manchester United will be playing West Ham at Old Trafford right. for the first time ever, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. which that's like a little bit of a piece of news inside the piece of news where I was like, yeah. I didn't realize that they had never done that before. I know. I mean, um, it, it, sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, it is still crazy to think that United has really only had a team for what, three, four years now, right. three yeah. years, like, yeah, another, another piece of news inside your exactly. piece of news. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I, I constantly go back and forth, especially because we're hopefully going to see an NWSL with a little bit more oomph behind it this year. Right. Where they're going to be able to let some fans in. They're going to be able to play a Challenge Cup and a regular season. Mm-hmm. What do you think um, in terms of support and equity between these men's and women's sides and the FAWSL? Mm-hmm. Where do you think that they're still lacking a little bit? And where do you think you watch this and you think this is the pinnacle. This is the best in the world. Yeah. I think, you know, similar, maybe not dissimilar to NWSL. There are obviously some haves and and have nots Mm -hmm. in the WSL as well. Um, I think, you know, we mentioned it a couple times already. One of the big things, obviously facilities, Um, you know, when you have a team that can't play, like is having the same match postponed multiple times due to, you know, unplayable conditions at their home stadium. That's a huge problem. Um, that was Birmingham. And I believe Aston Villa maybe had the same problem, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, a huge facilities issue, obviously. Um, so yeah, the increased, you know, media attention has been really fun. Um, you know, I've watched the most, that I ever have this year, um, even up here in Canada, you know, we've had games on TV. We don't even have NWSL games on TV yeah. a lot of the time. So that's been fun, but, um, yeah, definitely still kind of the haves and, and have nots, um, kind of mentality is still there. And then final thing, this is, this is me, this is me inserting myself into this. Sure. Sometimes, uh, when I watch even the top teams in the FAWSL, 
uh, it definitely does feel like that idea of sticking to the uh, philosophy and the form of the way they want to play does supersede trying to kind of grit out results. Yeah. Um, and in that versus NWSL, NWSL, you can see some real <laughs> smashing grabs, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and people really just like, we came in there and we punched them in the face and we stole the points. <laughs> we took. <yeah. laughs> Do you think, and, and I think that you see people in NWSL and people in FAWSL very proud of the sort of league combined ways that they play. Would you like to see maybe a little bit more, let's go direct, let's get these goals in FAWSL? And would you like to see a little bit more of, uh, of some beautiful football maybe played, <laughs> played here? Sure. I mean, even like at the start of the Arsenal United game on Friday, um, I don't know who the, the kind of uh, commentator was um, off the top of my head, but they were even mentioning like Joe Montemaro, Arsenal's coach, was saying, you know, sometimes he doesn't like to diverge from the plan and play ugly. And, you know, growing up, like watching, you know, uh, soccer over here, like the kind of North American, I'm like, play ugly, get those points. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so you're kind of big, you're kind of going, what? The head coach said, what? Um, but in terms of NWSL, I mean, I think, uh, of course, you always want to watch like beautiful uh, soccer, but um I do think, and even the players will point this out, you know, the pace and the physicality kind of is a central aspect of the league. Um, So I don't think that will ever go away. But, um, you know, if someone wants to play more beautifully, like, um, yeah, we're not going to say no. Okay, final question. Final question here. We've we've shouted out some people, right? We've shouted out some stars that everybody knows about the people who are really directing the conversation. Um, you shouted out Ebony Salmon, who's doing a fabulous job um, for her team. Is there a player or a couple players that you think deserve more recognition for what they've been doing? And in this home stretch, some just give shout out to sure. the listeners, give them some recommendations <laughs> of, of who to follow here. Sure. Who, who is cool? Who is cool? Um, well, uh, Blair Newman has been doing great, um, kind of more analysis type pieces for, um, our site on WSL. And he had a great one a couple weeks ago on, um, Katie McCabe at Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Um, so she plays left back, um, Irish international, actually Irish, uh, national team captain. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's been extremely fun to watch. Um, she has the pace, um, she has great uh she can deliver like a perfect cross in um so she's been really one to watch as well just and I think Blair even put something like she had been involved in um like something like 20 percent of Arsenal's goals this season yeah Yeah, so that is a player um you know selfishly is a player like we always say this, but I would love to see an NWSL. Sure. Um, you know, she has the pace. She she can certainly bring the physicality too. So um, I think that would probably be my, my pick for that question. Very nice. All right. Very good. So this has been the first half WSL edition of the Equalizer podcast. We'll be back in just a second to talk a little bit of college news. 
and uh, the main story of the NWSL this week, which is not necessarily what Angel City would have hoped for. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Equalizer podcast. We'll be right back to that in a minute, but just want to make sure that you're aware of our other podcast from the Equalizer Network, Kicking Back. It's one that I host, and each week we talk to personalities from across the sport of women's soccer, coaches, players, executives, plenty of great guests throughout season one from U.S. coaches, Vlatko Anonofsky, Jill Ellis, to players like Crystal Dunn, Becky Sauerbrunn. NWSL Commissioner Lisa Baird. So many great guests. And we're coming up on season two pretty soon, and you are not going to want to miss what we have in store for you. So go ahead and check out Kicking Back. If you're listening on a podcast platform right now, you can find us there as well. We're on all the podcast platforms, and we're looking forward to another exciting season of really in depth interviews and fun interviews with our latest guests. That's it for me, and let's get you back to the Equalizer podcast. Hello and welcome to part two of this week's Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. I am joined by Emily Dolhanty. We will be talking NWSL ownership in just a second. But first, I wanted to remind everybody uh, to rate and review the podcast on whatever service you use to stream. It helps us out a lot, helps people find the pod. uh, And we just like to read nice things about ourselves. So give us a review, uh, say nice things about the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) and subscribe uh that's my spiel okay so to start uh, i'm just gonna run down a little bit of of uh ncaa college soccer we are in the middle of spring seasons uh primarily looking at the pac-12 and 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 some big 10 action as well pac-12 has been very interesting some of the teams expected to do quite well are really struggling stanford dropped another game this week um usc has been having some trouble they did draw UCLA who has been doing quite well two two this week. That was a great game. Um, and I also want to shout out Santa Clara, uh, who has had some very good results recently and they have some players who were drafted in in this year's NWSL draft that are showing their quality. Um, I he's sitting here in Chicago watching Kelsey Turnbow score an amazing goal a week. And I say, that's awesome. Uh, and then finally, yeah, Penn state, Uh, is going to beat Michigan by at least four to one as of this recording. Uh, Sam Coffey, who was drafted by the Portland Thorns, 12th in this year's NWSL draft, has one goal and two assists in that game. Um, So it's been interesting to watch some of this spring soccer, knowing what some of these players' futures are, uh, and we'll kind of see how that all plays out for the NCAA tournament, which should be happening later this spring. But pivoting back into the pro game, we're going to talk ownership a little bit. Uh, you know, we've been talking ownership groups a lot on this podcast because there's been a lot of positive news in that direction, <laughs> whether it's Chicago announcing a lot of people, uh, Washington Spirit announcing investors, Naomi Osaka for the North Carolina Courage, lots of good vibes. We've been brought back down to reality a little bit <laughs> this week. Um, I am not going to go into deeply the issues with David Dobrik. Um, Steph Young at All for 11 did a very good piece on that. I recommend going and checking that out. But just to say that he has been accused of some things that do not align with Angel City's values. He is a part owner slash investor or was a part owner slash investor of Angel City. A little bit unclear exactly what his role was. He was listed as a founding member on their website until just a couple days ago. Um, So (laughs) 
this seems like an issue that will come up again. Uh, there's no way it's not going to, you have these big ownership groups. Everyone's very excited. You have to make sure that all of those people have been vetted. And there is some question, uh, as to what the red flags were going into this for someone like Dobrik and what oversight there was from the club and the league. Um, so just to flip this over to you, Emily, first, just first impressions of, you know, maybe not being surprised that these, this kind of news comes out um, right. from this ownership group. But how did you think that Angel City's response to this was this week? Yeah, I mean, um, I think you kind of got that right. Steph pointed out in, in her article, you know, the red flags were there, um, you know, on, on Dobrik. So there is kind of that question, um for sure of why he was even brought in, uh, allowed in, um, that kind of thing. But um, in terms of the response, um, I know they kind of said that he was actually never approved for ownership. Um, So I don't know kind of what happened there um, because I think it was kind of communicated that he was like a founding um, investor at first. Um, but, you know, I do think their swift response is something that we do want to see. Um, so, you know, we'll give them some points for that, but, um, yeah, I think this one does kind of come back to, you know, whether that oversight was there, as you said, and kind of whether those red flags were ignored at the start. Yeah, I think I, I agree. And I think that what we saw a little bit here, and I think this is something that we are going to have conversations about for a while going into the future is the league and these teams like to put together a a very unified message of wanting to not only run these companies as successful businesses, but doing good things for the community, standing for something, supporting women. Um, Angel City in particular, they say a lot that they're trying to do things differently. They are trying to build something that has never been built before. Um, And I think maybe what surprised me about this situation is that it didn't necessarily seem like Angel City was prepared for something like this. Which you sure they go into this with an owner with the best of intentions, right? They they have no reason to believe that they would have bad things come up though again doing background checks looking at their personal brand maybe there was an indication there that this could be coming um using that person for pr right because you're trying to expand your reach david dobrik has a very wide reach online um and not already maybe having protocols for what to do uh and so i guess do you think that this should alter those ownership expectations, or at least start that conversation of what happens if this happens again for any team? For sure. I mean, excuse me, you know, the more owners that you are bringing in, um, unfortunately, kind of the chances of something like this happening, um, unfortunately, does increase. I don't know if that's kind of a pessimistic view or maybe a realistic view. um, But you know, I do kind of wonder also how he was brought in because I know Steph's piece also mentioned that, um, you know, Dobrik and Alexis Ohanian have 
kind of a have worked together at least a bit on kind of another social network um so I kind of wonder you know what the catalyst for bringing him into Angel City was um you know if, if he brought you know the interest there or if it was more of like a here's my kind of famous friend type of thing so right. um yeah I don't know if that kind of will also alter how we're looking at these things whether um you know, are we bringing in people who want to be here or just, you know, rich friends of friends kind of thing? Right. I mean, yes, I definitely, with all of this, especially even with uh, the way that Angel City phrased that he gave up his shares right. without really making sh- clear what those were, um, didn't really see a strong denouncement of him yeah. from the club, makes you think that perhaps they are trying to maintain that the other owners, someone like Ohanian is maybe trying to low key maintain whatever other business relationship that they have. Um, And I, yeah, I think um, it does. It is that question of what do you benefit from these relationships, but also what do they open? What vulnerabilities do they open you up to Um, having someone with, you know, tens of millions of YouTube subscribers talking about your team considered a positive right for the for league sure. and for a club um but do you get ahead of yourself by getting excited about that um without the implications of what aligning yourself with people does to your brand right. especially when you're trying to um again angel city has been at the front of trying to position themselves as people who are doing things differently and doing a good job and and taking care of their community um so my thought is I am glad that there was a statement from angel city. Uh, I think that it could have been more forceful and I think that they could have been more nimble maybe. Uh, And it makes me wonder a little bit how much, how committed they are to the things that they say that they're committed to because they haven't even played a game yet. Right. They are, they are like a lifestyle brand right now. They are. (laughs) I mean, yeah. If you go and look at their kind of merch uh, on their website, I think you're right about that. um, Lifestyle brand. uh, Yeah. So in the fact that they are not yet a soccer team, they are all these other things. Uh, Maybe things start to streamline a little bit once they do become a soccer team or maybe angel city falls into these conflicts every once in a while and we're just gonna have to kind of see what happens next um so speaking of not really knowing what's going on with ownership (laughs) and perhaps conflict uh sacramento uh to to do a little bit of a shortened version of the timeline sacramento has been rumored to come into the nwsl for years now lisa baird announced at the draft that that was a go for 2022 uh sacramento since has been hit very hard by the pandemic financially and has pulled their MLS bid. Uh, But their main investor uh, spoke to the league this week. Um, Ron Burkle, who was the main, who was the main investor of the Sacramento MLS and NWSL project spoke to the league about possibly moving that bid because the, the way this works is they have a bid they have with, with money assigned and turning that the next step is turning that into a team. This investor, Ron Burkle, has proposed perhaps taking that bid and moving it to San Diego. Um, and I think Mick Linehan at the, at the Athletic also uh, reported that Jill Ellis, who had been hired for that Sacramento project, was also on that call. Right. Uh, 
doesn't seem like it's happening for 2022, does it? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, definitely the understatement of this uh, piece of news. Um, I don't know. This is also, I have to admit, I I am not super well-versed in what that means within California, which is right. massive, right? Can mm-hmm. definitely handle multiple NWSL teams. For they sure. have the one in LA. They were talking about having one further north in Sacramento. What that meant for the league also having some bids from the Bay Area. Right. And you think to yourself, yes, California can absolutely absorb multiple NWSL teams. Can they have the first team up in Sacramento and then also a team in the Bay? Right. Does moving that to San Diego open up the possibility of the Bay Area team? But this is the same question of Ron Burkle is pulling out of his commitments essentially mm-hmm. to the city of Sacramento. Is that, is that one of these red flags right. for the NWSL? Right. I mean, if he's kind of, you know, wanting to move now and, and pulling out of these commitments, who's to say it's not going to happen again. Right. Um, you know, and another thing, is it the right time to kind of for the league to be figuring this out on the go kind of, um, if you kind of know what I mean there, like it seemed like the 2022 kind of arrival into the league was, was pretty set obviously with Lisa Baird's kind of announcement um, earlier this year. And and now things do very much seem up in the air. And this was something kind of, I think a lot of us were hoping wouldn't be happening in, in the league kind of as we're entering, you know, this more established phase of the league. And as the years go on, like these type of situations with, you know, well, where the heck is this team going to be now? Um, so, yeah, I think there are a lot of questions here and I don't know. We'll get the answers right away, but um, yeah, definitely don't. Uh, yeah. It's unfortunate, you know, for people that were in Sacramento that were hoping, hoping to have it a team right. there, but, you know, I think also kind of bluntly, like the writing was on the wall when, when Burkle kind of pulled out of the MLS kind of project um, you know, I think maybe this was expected for the NWSL side too. Right. And I think it is positive that, that he is still committed to trying to make the NWSL project work. Um, obviously that's a much less expensive endeavor than, right. than MLS expansion. Uh, yeah, I feel for the city of Sacramento, it would, I can't imagine being told that it's for sure happening and then, yeah. uh, being told that actually it's not happening at all. Right. Uh, it seems like, the connection obviously in Sacramento you have Sacramento Republic which was a USL team that was talking about becoming an MLS team San Diego um, might be some connections to San Diego loyal which is another USL team if you're talking about venues which are premiums for for NWSL teams at this point you cannot put together an expansion bid without a set venue that makes sense Um, so it's really just kind of a big watch this space and I think it's possible that the next California club is not this one. I think you could see those Bay area groups coming in with a set plan and the money behind it. And the league maybe jumps on that first. Right. Kind of maybe jumping in on somebody that comes in with some certainty and stability over kind of what sounds like a bit more of an up in the air project now. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that this opens up in, in my opinion is, so we were thinking that we were going to go from 10 teams to 12 teams, 2021 to 2022. 
nobody wants an odd number of teams that has been established. (laughs) It messes horribly with your schedule. Not good. Do you think, well, I, if it's out of the league's hands, they will go with 11 if they have to. Um, but I think there's also a possibility that maybe this speeds things up for other groups. Um, I think that we've heard rumors of interest from, uh, Toronto, um, Josie Altidore has been, he's yes. always, but he's always teasing something, uh, I think something possible in sorry. Canada. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think that's like the, uh, the eternal kind of right. like story for NWSL to Canada, like a tease. Like right. I wrote an article, like I think eight years ago now, seven or eight years ago, about like NWSL to Toronto, like this would be great. <laughs> I think Grant Wall, like at the time had, tweeted something about how you know people were interested and you know here we are like uh, uh, still saying tease now so right um yes I mean that's the classic classic issue and that we're still seeing with Sacramento is lots of people say they're interested right we had the big the big announcement of FSG in Boston talking about how they have an NWSL team on their wish list right uh but when it comes time to sign the paperwork, <laughs> yeah, where it's, are you? Not always, it's not always what we hope for. Um, but yeah, so no big, no big uh, uh, NWSL news coming out this week. Just a lot of still very off season stuff. Right. We're reaching the end of preseason. Challenge Cup is coming up. So we will do some more extended Challenge Cup preview work in the future. Um, but yeah, lots of lots of business things happening. <laughs> and I'm excited eventually to stop talking about that. Yes. And uh, talking about games. Uh, right. Uh, right. So thank you, Emily, for coming on to the podcast this week. This was great. I want to shout out our producer, Jacqueline Purdy. Thank you so much for p- compiling this, putting it all together. And I am your host, Claire Watkins. This has been this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. <laughs>